I prefer the RV parks. I prefer the Walmart parking lots to the beaches and things like that. There's something normal to me about it. I've come from regular stock, and I prefer that. I prefer being around that. Well, who doesn't love a good Walmart parking lot? Clarence Thomas, that's who. My name is Jack Silvers, and this is an episode of Ad Hoc. Because it seems like, as most Americans in public life, Supreme Court Justice Thomas has never been pictured in the parking lot of a Walmart, which seems like a pretty weird place for anyone to have photos of themselves, but he was the one who brought it up. But where he has been spotted is in front of churches in Indonesia, at luscious resorts in the Adirondacks, smoking cigars with prominent Republican megadonors, and riding on small ferry boats that take you to massive yachts. And in almost all of these cases, he's smiling and accompanied by a man named Harlan Crow, a Republican billionaire megadonor and heir to one of the biggest real estate fortunes in this country's history. And all of these revelations come from a masterpiece of investigative journalism that ProPublica published at the beginning of this month, entitled Clarence Thomas and the Billionaire, or subtitled The Love Story That No One Realized They Needed. And a lot of people read this article and responded with shock and disgust, especially if you happen to be a liberal who already disliked Clarence Thomas, maybe because he makes hypocritical statements about Walmart parking lots, because he's led the drive to strip half of America's population of their bodily autonomy, or maybe because his wife has some noted anti-democratic tendencies. But in this podcast, I'd like to talk about how Thomas is a symptom of a larger issue with the Supreme Court and the way that we view the court in general here in the U.S. It's not so much the politicization of the judiciary, although that's certainly related and has gotten the attention that it deserves in recent years. It's more of the glorification, the reification of a body that has become untouchable, oligarchic in nature, and somehow fundamentally above the fray of typical accountability. So, What do I mean when I said the court is untouchable or glorified or maybe even reified to get kind of philosophical about it? I don't mean to say that the court somehow has more respect from the American people than it used to. A recent poll from Gallup in September of last year found that just 47% of Americans say that they even have some trust in the Supreme Court, which is a decade low. And I don't mean to say that all of the individuals on the court believe that they're above the American people in some way. But Thomas's travails and other recent disclosures about how justices conduct themselves when the court's not in session reveal that the Supreme Court, as an institution, is arguably the least ethically accountable institution in the entire United States, at least in the U.S. government. So let's talk about the actual laws that justices have to follow regarding ethics disclosures. All federal judges are bound to something called the Code of Conduct for United States Judges, 
which isn't a binding set of laws, but it's a set of aspirational rules by which all federal judges are supposed to abide. All federal judges except the Supreme Court. Yes, the code which federal appeals court justices are supposed to follow, or circuit judges, doesn't apply to Supreme Court justices. And within this non-binding code, it instructs lower court justices to avoid financial impropriety, for example. And not only avoid that type of financial conflict of interest, but even the appearance thereof. So this doesn't apply to the nine people who have the final say on what the U.S. Constitution really means. And that doesn't mean that there's total anarchy on the court, per se. There are statutes that instruct Supreme Court justices to recuse themselves for cases where they might be biased by particular circumstances. And these type of statutes have notably come under question in the last year, specifically when it comes to Clarence Thomas. But they're there. And there's also provisions saying that Supreme Court justices should follow basic financial disclosures that all federal government officials are bound to. So justices are generally required to publicly report all gifts worth more than $415. So that would include trips on a yacht, for example. And there are carve-outs, but in Clarence Thomas's case, notably, transportation has never been one of them. So Clarence Thomas releases a statement after the ProPublica story comes out. And he points to a March update of the Judiciary Guidelines which explicitly stated that transportation given to you by another person is not exempted from federal filing rules. Now, ethics experts agree that transportation was never exempted, but now it's explicitly said in the judiciary guidelines. So Thomas reads this, and he writes in his statement, and I quote with my own emphasis added, it is, of course, my intent to follow this guidance in the future. And this is where I think the discussion about the untouchability of the Supreme Court comes in. The statement from Clarence Thomas drips of this kind of self-assuredness. The sense that he knows what is right for the Supreme Court to do, for a Supreme Court justice to do in their spare time. It says that I, Clarence Thomas, arbiter of the law of the land, thought one thing about what I was legally supposed to do. Everyone else seemed to think another thing and people have figured out that there was a discrepancy. People have reported on it. People are reading the ProPublica story. So now Clarence Thomas will begin to follow the rules. And it has echoes of other statements that Supreme Court justices and court-adjacent people have made over the years, which essentially assert that the Supreme Court is capable of governing itself. Let's go to John Roberts, for example, Chief Justice and famously someone of the belief that ju justices should simply call balls and strikes. Roberts wrote about a decade ago in a report about congressional oversight of the Supreme Court that, I quote, the court has never addressed whether Congress may impose requirements on the Supreme Court. The justices nevertheless comply with those provisions. Well, isn't that a nice idea? Roberts essentially said that Congress doesn't really have the established right to impose requirements on the Supreme Court, but still, the Supreme Court will follow them. And there's one more quote I'll give. This time, this is from 
someone named Mark Pauletta. He was general counsel to the Office of Management and Budget under Trump, OMB. And now he happens to be Virginia Thomas's lawyer, the wife of Clarence Thomas. Pauletta said in congressional testimony about possibly strengthening judicial ethics rules that, I quote, there's nothing wrong with ethics or recusals at the Supreme Court. To support any reform legislation right now would be to validate these vicious political attacks on the Supreme Court. And when he talks about vicious political attacks, he seems to be referencing criticism of Clarence Thomas for adjudicating cases about the January 6th insurrection, which Virginia Thomas had some undefined role in. But this is where the irony comes in. And it gets to levels of irony that I think are Harlan Crow level of rich. Pauletta is in a circle of Republican legal activists and donors who surround Clarence Thomas and who have also taken trips with billionaire Harlan Crow, including in 2019, one trip to Indonesia. And after he took this trip, in order to follow executive branch ethics rules, Pauletta reimbursed Harlan Crow for the cost of the trip. So people like Mark Pauletta, who are in this, what I would characterize as an oligarchic circle of people around the Supreme Court, simultaneously follow their own ethical rules of different government positions, but can also vigorously argue that the same rules shouldn't apply to Supreme Court justices. Now, there could be a, a couple reasons for this. Uh, perhaps deep down for people like Pauletta, who are familiar with the court, who are lawyers themselves and have a lot of respect for the justices, there is some belief that the Supreme Court and its justices are sacrosanct, beyond reproach. Or maybe there's an ulterior motive that Harlan Crow or people like Robert Schenck, uh, an abortion activist who the New York Times did a story about last year, might get to influence the justice's decision on certain issues, even though no Supreme Court justice would ever admit to being influenced on any case. Perhaps there's an ulterior motive there. I'm more likely to believe this second explanation, but different people can interpret it in different ways. And I also want to be clear here. This is not just a conservative justice problem. Other Supreme Court justices have taken similar types of trips and received gifts, maybe not meeting the level that Clarence Thomas has received, but certainly notable. Justice Stephen Breyer took 225 subsidized trips from 2004 to 2018, and that's according to the Center for Responsive Politics. One of those trips was to Nantucket and was paid for by the billionaire private equity maven David Rubenstein, namesake of a building here at Harvard Kennedy School, close to campus. And the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg even got a private tour of Israel in 2018 from an Israeli billionaire, Morris Kahn, who had cases related to his businesses coming before the Supreme Court. It's naive to think that one's political beliefs could somehow inoculate an official from the human temptations of greed and power and influence that lead officials across the government to commit ethical violations. And one could also argue that we shouldn't focus on the Supreme Court's ethics too specifically because the rest of the government isn't ethical either. And that's true. The executive branch and the legislator aren't exactly killing it when it comes to ethics. 
Look no further than President Trump brazenly flouting the emoluments clause while he was in office or the stock trading while in office of people like Senator Richard Burr or former Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. But let's be clear here. The levels of ethical violations or perceived ethical violations are different. Congress people, as unaccountable as they generally are, are held to stricter rules than Supreme Court justices. And they do sometimes, although rarely, get expelled for ethical violations. But more importantly, the Supreme Court, unlike Congress right now, actually gets shit done. One could definitely argue that in the vacuum of congressional action on things like healthcare reform, the rights of gun owners, or prior to the Biden administration, climate change, the court has stepped in to become the most important force shaping the relationship between American citizens and their government. And that concerns people, in my view. But the response hasn't gone in the right way. Democrats increasingly talk about the necessity of winning elections in order to appoint federal justices, similarly to how Republicans have effectively rallied voters around justices who might curtail abortion rights for years. There's currently an entire snafu surrounding Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein, who's away from the Senate right now because of sickness and because of her role on the Senate Judiciary Committee, has made it harder for Democrats to efficiently confirm federal justices. Campaign managers at the local and state level talk increasingly about the importance of judicial elections, like the hot-button one that just happened in Wisconsin. But maybe this discourse is kind of missing the point. Maybe what we should really be talking about is how courts, and the Supreme Court especially, have become too powerful. This body that we trust less and less as the years go on, but still consider important to our democracy and still work vigorously to influence, has become this kind of uncontrollable beast. It's moved from the RV parks and the Walmart parking lots of the United States to the mega yachts and the billionaire resorts. And it leaves the common American behind. So thanks for listening. Thank you.